Hello and welcome to the Alternative Podcast. Uh, today we've got Amanda with us from A Thousand Serious Moves, the podcast. Uh, we'll leave all of the details below in the description. Uh, but Amanda, one thing I really want to ask before we sort of get into the deep conversation is you used to be a stand-up comedian or are you still a stand-up comedian? I would still do it if somebody asked me to, but I'm not actively pursuing it uh, like I used to. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah, my question was um, just on your sort of journey, how do you transition from stand-up comedy into where you're at today? Well, I see it as actually part of my birth chart. So I've always been a spiritually inclined, curious person. And um, I got into stand-up. I've always been really good at oration. So when I was younger, it was I was really good at you know, being a representative for the class and just really good with oracular skills. And so whether that comes out as writing, public speaking and so acting. And so then comedy also um, was another expression of where Mercury is in my chart. And when, even when I was doing comedy, I would integrate a lot of spiritual jokes into the set and really it was whenever um I kind of got called to a more specifically spiritual path that uh stand-up comedy started to fade away as less of a priority for me but uh, you know doing the podcast is just another way of this um oracular skill being able to be expressed or through my writing yeah I'm noticing on a spiritual journey um I'm quite early onto it, but I'm noticing straight away that you sort of grow out of things, you grow away from things. Um, so I take it that's sort of the experience you had with stand-up comedy. Yeah, and getting, I got clean and sober. And so part of um, putting away that old lifestyle for myself, I know a lot of stand-up comedians that are also, you know, also spiritual and continue to do stand-up and I guess that just it just isn't it doesn't sit right with my current trajectory anymore. Like I do I do miss doing it to a certain extent, but I feel more content on this iteration of my path. One thing uh, me and Cam this year we've um, decided to give up alcohol, and I've been thinking about it similar to what you just said. Like you've put that to bed now. And I remember all the good times I had with drink and the bad times, but I'm happy to sort of close that chapter and not return to it and then progress with where I want to go in life and leave that behind me. Um, so it's like what, what you said then just sort of reminded me of what I was thinking about yesterday or talking to a friend about when we were talking about alcohol. Yeah, I... Um... I, there was a there's a bar here in town that was closing and last night they had their closing night and I had there was an invitation for me to go and I was like well should I go you know to this social event and it, I kind of have this realization that's like well if I was a sex addict and they were closing a strip club and they were like come to our last night at the strip club it wouldn't really make quite sense to be like, well, I'm a sex addict and I'm going to go to this closing of the sex club. So 
you know, for me is like, okay, if I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol, then why would I actively put myself in a situation where I'm just around people who are drinking? And I know people who make it work. It's just, again, for me, it's really about, does that sit right with me? And it just, something about it didn't feel right. So I was like, well, I don't have to do things that make me feel anxious anymore. Hmm. Well, um, so if you went sober, um, so obviously you were doing stand-up when you wasn't sober, did you find, and I've, I've yet to ask anyone this question, but I've, I've been toying with it a lot in my mind, because I'm into my music a lot, and what I notice with a lot of artists is they are drug and alcohol abusers, a lot of them, and that's what generates their creative sort of flow and energy to make the music that they make. Did you notice a sort of drop off in creativity when you went sober? Yes. I will say in terms of the outward expression, um, but I still have made art and I've still written poetry in sobriety. It has another layer of depth to it. I don't do as much as I used to because I used to take a lot of amphetamines and would stay up for three days and then just work on art or write. And now I don't do that. But also thinking about creativity as what is it that I'm bringing forth into the world? And so if I think about, you know, we as the creation of the creator, if you will, you know, it's it's part of our iteration of that to then create. But in terms of my spiritual practice, there is a level of creativity that gets expressed. It's just not always something that gets manifest into a commodity that then gets presented to be consumed. Yeah, I can I can resonate with what you're saying because the, the one thing that I felt since quitting alcohol, um, this year is not necessarily like a direct loss of creativity, but I felt more, uh, what's the right word, like more in tune with my creativity where I know I've got to dig a little bit deeper to find it, but then when I do find it, it's a lot more fulfilling than anything I was doing if intoxicated, so to speak. Um, so it's going a level deeper to find it rather than finding the shallow surface of creativity. So it is a lot more empowering in that in that on that side of it yeah and i think that also it's really whatever the work that i put into it is and so my first year of learning to live and enjoy life without the use of drugs and alcohol it was really about kind of getting my feet under me and even though i've had creative expressions it's really kind of a longer trajectory of recalibrating my mind, body, and spirit so that then there's a different touchstone that I'm creating from rather than more of this place of chaos or just throwing up on a piece of paper and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. No, I can definitely understand that. Um, uh, what, another sort of not, not really direct, directly directed towards sobriety but one thing that um on our journey well on my journey Aaron, me and Aaron share a similar journey because we kind of talk to each other every day so we're, like, on this path but one thing I've been trying to 
not connect, but trying to just differentiate between is religion and spirituality. And I know there's a lot of overlap, but there's also a lot which doesn't connect at all between spirituality and religion. How would you define the differences between the two? Religion is a man-made construction to try to explain what's going on in the metaphysical realm. And usually within that construction, there's the structure. And so within that structure is the dogma, the rules, regulations. And because it's made by human beings, which are have our flaws and points of tension and trauma and um, beliefs that there's going to be inherent levels of corruption within the religion. And a lot of religions tend to be imbalanced. I mean, not, a, I would say at least as far as I know, because I'm very familiar with the Abrahamic religions, is that they tend to focus heavily on one element of the word, you know, the entire religion is framed on this book, right? And so if we're thinking magically, the book and the word is associated with the element air and the direction of the east. And so this particular direction is very much, it's very cut and dry. It's very much about rules and regulations. And so it's inherently imbalanced because all of the emphasis is on one of the four elements. So there's also fire, water, and earth. And so this religion itself has, because it's man-made, because it's trying, it has these certain rules and regulations that, oh, you obey these things, poverty, chastity, 10 commandments. And if you don't, then you work really hard to uh, get repentance and there's only one way. And typically the deities that are associated with the East tend to be very much about um, I am the first and I am the one. And so you have to submit to this type of deity within that religious framework. Whereas spirituality or magic has a broader scope to be able to look more within oneself and around oneself with the ways that one is guided on their own particular journey. A lot of times I have, I've tried to be religious a few times because to me, it seemed like it would be really easy. Okay, I will just, I will just do whatever you say. And it just didn't work for me multiple times. I grew up in a religious home. I was very much into theology. I wanted to be a preacher. And, um, you know, because of that framework, because I was a woman within that particular denomination, it wasn't allowed. And then I developed an eating disorder. And the God of my understanding at that time from that religion wasn't saving me like I was told that it would that he would, that was a he, right? And so so I kind of backed away, just kind of getting burnt by a few different elements of that religion and then had a lot of these experiences. And then maybe about when I started to really dive into the magical work, I had a friend of mine that joined the Greek Orthodox Church and I went with him on 
a Friday during um, Easter time. And um, they did the service to the Holy Theotokos, which is the Blessed Mother. And I was like, this is beautiful. I love that they integrate the mother and the angels and saints. And um, so then I was like, well, maybe I'll join the Greek Orthodox Church or the Orthodox Church. And so then I went to one out here where I live and the pastor, the priest, there was maybe only about seven people in the congregation. And the sermon that day was about a woman who it was in the book of Acts who practiced divination, which is like reading cards or, you know, that type of, that's kind of another form of divination. It was about a woman who uh, was a diviner and then the apostles cast demons out of her. So I was like, well, I'm clearly not welcome here in this church. They're not going to be accepting of the work that I do. And so I do believe that that was my higher power or holy demon who was guiding me to say, cut out the religion, like quit trying to take, to me, religion is the easy way out <laughs> because it's so, you just follow these rules and do these things and then you'll be okay. Um, but I think that for my soul's journey, that there's a greater lessons uh, beyond that. And I think that that's part of the spiritual path is almost a, a more difficult path to some extent. Yeah, that's a good story. That's a really good story because you've basically said that your spirituality is over overrided, the fact that religion's out there, because religion's based, well, in my opinion, it's sort of based on spirituality teachings and it's been part, the book's been passed around so much and it's been sort of given to a dictatorship where someone's wanted pure sort of power and the power lies within this book and they've passed it on. But then no one's able then to dig even deeper in themselves because that feels like you're betraying the book. So it's so it starts at the book and it ends at the book in, in that sort of scenario, which is something which I can't get my head around because this book is, like you said, written by humans, whereas the divine power or the power that you feel is God is like way more than a book. It's like within you. Like you can feel it within you as definitely when you let you sort of let yourself go and let yourself have them feelings. But a lot of the people who are tied to the book don't allow themselves to have them feelings at all. Well, no, I'm just curious to know, how do you define God or supreme being or a higher power? <laughs> <laughs> I know right um I guess I don't you know I mean the way that I have been learning to work is with divinity and so that's sort of what if I were to really call it something it would be the divinity that flows through all times all worlds all beings all substance and this is can be a difficult pill for people to swallow because then the question is well why would then things like the holocaust you know the problem of evil that gets brought up in philosophical debates is like why then the holocaust and why then the world falling apart and things like that but to me the divinity necessarily is beyond full comprehension and it's really not quite my job to understand the fullness of the fullness so by its nature I can't quite say that I can define it 
but it's a power that I can tap into in remembrance and in meditation and, and reflection of that all things are divine. And even, you know, as one of my teachers says, even the dead dog in the gutter, that even like this too is part of the expression of in Kabbalah, they say Ein Sof, which is the, the fullness of all things and is one way to describe it. And so it, and so that's why I think that having a spiritual or magical path has another layer of difficulty to it because it entails that we then come to terms with the fullness of what we perceive to be good and evil and that all of these are part of this greater dynamic yeah that's probably one thing i would say i'm struggling um to get my head around the most um you can apply it's easy to apply and i, I suppose i've read somewhere that half the job's done or, or you, you're at least on the way to getting the job done if you're identifying the things that you see out there in in the world at least you're stopping to think about them and identifying what could be the positives you can take from the situation, what could be the goodness within the situation. Um, that's probably, the, I guess it must be because of where I'm at on my journey that that's going to be a struggle. And I don't know, I can't see where I could find positivity or happiness in a lot of the crude stuff that goes on in the world. Right. I was just talking to a friend yesterday who... I'll tell a story, part of her story, which is another person's story, is that she went to Costa Rica to do some ayahuasca ceremonies, and that one of the people that was there was a man who used to be the captain of yacht, of this giant yacht, super yacht, and so he would captain around these billionaires, and that she said, it's not just QAnon. She's like, they actually, these billionaires are actually doing the things that people say that they're doing, you know, the, you know, children and the pushing people overboard. And, you know, and so this man was in this ayahuasca retreat to heal from the trauma of being this captain of these super yachts. So that was sort of still on my mind this morning of, what are, what's going to happen to these billions, like justice, you know, I'm thinking about like justice, like when they die, will they be, will they be held accountable or will their souls just be wiped out? And based on my understanding of what happens when we die. And to me, where I'm at now, it's, it's hard to see justice as their souls just being totally wiped out and then not being held accountable for this evil i mean i how could we not call that evil you know um and so i think that it's okay to say like i don't know you know i think it's okay to not have to have the answers to um the greater why things are happening outside of me but when I look at my own life, I can start to see connections. And so if I kind of keep the scope a little bit more focused on my own immediate journey, it, it kind of can make a little bit more sense than getting overwhelmed with the much 
larger questions. Because when I see my own trauma and difficult experiences that I've been through, and I can see how I've learned and grown and become a better person because of these experiences that I've been through. And um, so sometimes that kind of helps when I just bring it back within my own framework instead of getting too wrapped up in what about the billionaire pedophiles <laughs> yeah it's about sort of bringing it back to what's inside your control and what you it's because it's your life your experience what it's your journey it's not sort of their journey right. so you, you can ponder on it but you do need to bring it back to yourself at, at the end of the day yeah 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 because i can i can get really overwhelmed with like all of the shit that's yeah. going on, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, you mentioned when you're talking about the billionaires, um, what would happen to them when they die? What are your thoughts on what happens to us in general when we die? Mm, right. So my understanding is this, is that when we die, our soul becomes aware that we have continued on past death. And there's a little bit of like a lingering time, usually until the funeral, where the soul can then try to like communicate with the loved ones and be like, I'm here, like everything's okay, actually, like I'm still, I made it, like, you know, but then at a certain point when it's time for one to cross the threshold into death. And if you read a lot of, especially ancient Greek or Egyptian texts or the Tibetan Book of the Dead of, you know, what happens to the soul when they die, and the stories that I've read are that there's there's a river that we come to. Some call it, you know, the River Leith, I think is how you say it. Um, I think that's what it is in Greek, is that there's a river that we come to and that one gets a large thirst to drink from the river. And if one drinks from the river, then one forgets one's past life and forgets all the experiences and the lessons and then gets brought into a whole new cycle. Whereas if one washes one's face with the river, then it helps one to detach from one's life without forgetting the lessons that one learned. And then in some stories, then one takes a boat um, through the river into the underworld to then re-experience the it's a test of the lessons that we learn in life that how we live is how we die and so the lessons that we learn in life are we'll get in, we'll encounter them again whenever we pass away and we'll be like okay am i going to impulsively reach for gratification um am i going to um eat the thing that they offer me or do I know to resist um and that what comes out on the other side is the the hall of judgment um which is where you know Christianity takes this term of like the final judgment um but in Egyptian cosmology there's a few different interpretations of this the one story that I'm familiar with which is that the individual becomes the set of scales and so how how balanced were we in life and depending on the weighing of the scales one can continue to come one can come back to life to continue to learn lessons one can or 
then be of service in the underworld or come back to life to be of service or to continue into the journey of ascent to become as one of the gods. So that's kind of the overview of where I'm at and the current understanding of what happens when we die and and the cycle of reincarnation and, and what is it that, you know, it, to live being a pro, um, uh, opportunity to learn how to die, um, thinking about that word balance. And that really makes a lot of sense to me where it's not so much about obeying certain commandments as much as it is like how like am i am i living in like a balanced place whatever that looks like for a person um and it, to me that has more of this like inherent lovingness to it rather than condemnation it's a much more like objective perspective where one really look takes an honest hard look at one's life and decisions and is like is this really serving me? Is this really benefiting me and other people? And am I contributing to the world? Um, and that's really kind of an internal divine guidance, or maybe from one's, you know, holy guardian angel or something that helps to guide one along the path. Mm. That's a good way of looking at it because everyone's going to have different balances. It's not straight across the board. Um, what would you say contributes towards balance? So obviously you've got um, Christianity, you say good and evil, God and the devil. What, how would you strip that down to an everyday person's life? Like, for example, if someone's listening to this and they're like, they know that their balance needs to be different to yours, different to mine, different to Aaron's. But if they need to identify the balance within themselves, what two things would you say they need to look at? Well, I'll answer your question with my own experience, and hopefully that'll bring some clarity. So if we're going back to when I was using drugs to an excess, and I knew that I was doing it to an excess, to the extent that it made itself prevalent that I was bringing destruction into my life. So creation and destruction, um, giving and receiving, or um, where is it that I think that life presents to us unmanageable circumstances that we bring about because of imbalance, whether one, you know, gains an excess amount of weight or um, loses an excess amount of weight or, um, has certain health issues or there's constantly fighting in relationships or um, compulsively reaching for the phone where one, I don't know, when's the last time you read a book? You know, I think that one can, I think that most people have some level of awareness of where they can improve their lives and practice discipline. So I look at, okay, so if we're looking at the tree of life in Kabbalah, and this is overly simplified, is that on one end of the tree, there is God's strength and God, and, and then on the other side is God's mercy. And so finding that balance point between 
Where is it that I need to refine and to hold back? And then where is it that I need to show loving kindness, compassion, and mercy? So I'm not overly hard on myself, but I'm not giving myself so much slack that then it unravels me. Yeah, so it's like the most people know that they, they know when they do something that they don't feel, they feel like it's not right. But it's like, say like they've got a phone addiction, they know they've got a phone addiction and they know they need to stop using it or cut down on social media or just put it away for an hour. But once they get to get a grasp of that and learn how to change that in their life, then they might find something else that they struggle with, make that better. And then it's just sort of, they're on a journey of making themselves better. This is what I found when I was in a bit of a, a rut at one point where I just found like things weren't going my way and I was the only person that could change that. So I decided to start going to the gym and get healthy, start eating better. And then it sort of stacked on from there. And now I've ended up on this path where I'm just trying to become the best person I can be. And it's just changing the little thing, little things at a time. Because you can't change everything all at once. And some things you're not even aware of at the time. So if I look back to three years ago, I'm not, I wasn't aware of half of the things I'm aware about now. So I guess it's just like slowly building up that awareness of what's knocking you off balance, right? Yeah, and if we think about the path of Hercules trudging up the mountain of adversity is that for one who's on a path of spiritual development, refinement, becoming better, if we could say that, is that it entails treachery. Like it entails, it's called the mountain of adversity for a reason, because the adversities that we go through are the things that refine us, like doing the difficult thing, which I'm sure, I mean, we all live in, you know, generally Western, you know, frameworks, so whether it's in America or otherwise, there is this, you know, uh, sort of easiness that we're comfortable with life we don't experience too much adversity and in fact we have quite an aversion to adversity um but it's really like those are the things themselves that we can seek after in order to refine ourselves so and to clarify it's not actively seeking out difficulty or chaotic situations which is to an extent of what I was doing when I was drinking and using drugs, I was like, well, I'm gaining experiences. But now instead of making stupid mistakes, I still make stupid mistakes, but that um, now I can, how can I refine myself and practice discipline in my own life so that the universe doesn't throw these heavy lessons at me? We call it self-winnowing. And so it's like, if I can do it myself to assert, if I can get up an hour early and meditate instead of sleeping in, that's going to help refine me more than like some huge lesson that the universe is like, you need to learn this thing. And so it's like, if I can do it myself, it's a little bit of an easy, easier quote unquote path than just letting fate teach me giant lessons. Yeah, that reminds me of, I don't know, like if you're in school or college or uni and you've got an assignment to do and you decide to do it at the last minute and it's just a complete train wreck. 
Whereas if you started it two, three weeks ago, earlier, and just did a little bit every day, it would have been a lot easier and smoother ride. And you would have probably come out the end of it with a better mark than if you did the train wreck in the last two days. I like that analogy. When I would do that in university, I would always be like, why am I waiting to the last minute when, because it's like, I know I'm already doing it now. And now I have all these, like, I know that good ideas could be coming out, but because I'm rushing. So it's really that element of discipline that I think is lacking to a large extent within, at least within my life, it was missing because there was such a level of comfortability and ease that I wasn't, I was, I mean, I'm more disciplined than some people, but it's, it's an ongoing process. And even yesterday morning, like I gave that example of waking up early is that these are things that I know that I can do that are good for me. Even if it's only an hour and I'm just a little sleepy, but like, I don't have kids. I work for myself, you know, so I need to be the one to give myself some of that discipline and difficulty um, because I maybe that's part of what, you know, being one's own adult <laughs> yeah. is of, you know, being a disciplined person. Yeah, I've noticed uh, the same thing because it kind of like leaves a big question in my head because I'm self-employed, so I work for myself, so I'm my own boss where I've got a set myself my own deadlines of when I'm going to wake up, when I'm going to start work, when I'm going to finish the work by and so on and so forth. But it leaves this big question in my head that when I went from the transition to being in employment to self-employed, I didn't even realize that this stuff was difficult to do, to get your head around, that you need to have all these systems in place yourself. I just always thought I've been living through a system anyway, the system's embedded into me, I can just do this. But it's not because I've just been scared of the people who were going to shout at me if I wasn't going to do it. So my boss, my teacher, if I was late to school. So all these people are stuck in these situations where they're constantly scared of authority. So if they are ever left to fend on their own, they're going to struggle a lot with it. And I guess that's a problem, a societal problem, right? Because people aren't being taught the types of things that we're all talking about today. This isn't taught in school. And it probably should be. Yeah. Yeah, because at least in America, it's not hard to graduate and to like make it to the next grade level. The education system is so poor that even to get a decent enough grade to make it to the next class, like doesn't really require any amount of discipline or very minimal studying, you know, unless one is just a driven person, but it's definitely not built into the system. I mean, in retrospect, I can see, oh, I was really smart in high school, but I was smart enough to where I never really needed to study. So I never really developed study skills. And then whenever I got to university, it was like, oh, I don't really know how to study. And then I got on Adderall and was like, you know, and so it's like, that's also very like Western. It's like, here, just take a pill for it, you know? And like, that'll help. It's like, but it's not really getting to, it's not actually, it's just putting a bandaid over the situation. It doesn't like then develop study skills. Mm. Yeah, I guess, well, if they were to teach, 
uh, don't want to just say spirituality because there's a lot more to what we're talking about than just spirituality but if they were to teach it in schools then i guess a huge part of that would be to leave a person to find themselves because in the education system you're sort of told who you need to be and it only it took me 23 years i guess to then decide well then to come out of employment and be like shit i don't actually know who i actually who i am because i've always been told i need to be this person so you need to work and strive towards this person and then going self-employed and just detaching yourself out of the sort of system you're sort of left like well holy shit like who am i and then i guess that's why spirituality has sort of stood out to me so much it's because it's like well i am me so i need to find myself within me that's kind of where i am on the path i guess yeah that's a beautiful gift that you're given that opportunity to step out of the system and then be able to have this new doorway opening up to you to ask these questions yeah on the back of it how in your opinion how much benefit to one's sort of mental health do you think spirituality could be hmm. well it's interesting when i was in college my dad passed away and it forced me to go to therapy i had suffered with an eating disorder for a few years before this happened and i come from a family of alcoholics and drug addicts and so when my dad passed away it forced me into therapy because i mean how else was i going to function in school without you know some type of help and so i started going to therapy twice a week for two years sometimes even three times a week and i was on antidepressants and you know amphetamines and benzos and you know they were giving me all the pills and i was going to therapy and at the time that was what that was the best that the western system had to offer me i had the best of the best you know and it so it helped get me by and then whenever i finally smoked weed it was a towards the end of my senior year in college and that in conjunction with all of the therapy that I had been doing, I had this like spiritual experience about realizing things about my childhood and depression and anxiety and started to really make some deep inner connections that um, really helped kind of take me to the next level and helped me to get off of the antidepressants, get off of the benzos. I still was on the amphetamines and then I stayed in therapy and eventually did acid. And then that kind of skyrocketed me to this next level where it was first mental health. And then after a few years of working on my mental health, then the spiritual doors opened for me in a new way because I was so wrapped up in the you know, just needing to get mentally healthy. I couldn't even 
the spiritual had kind of gone by the wayside. I was studying philosophy. So I was much more interested in the rational and logical. And then whenever I was ready, then the doors opened for me to see that there in fact is more going on to this world. And so then part of that began a meditation practice, yoga, that became necessary for not only my spiritual development, but also my mental health. And there is this woman, she's a psychologist and a Buddhist teacher. Her name was Tara Brock. And she really does this beautiful job of bridging the spiritual and the psychological in terms of utilizing meditation to detach from one's thoughts or to process one's feelings and how to nurture oneself whenever there's feelings of fear, anger, you know, any of those uncomfortable trigger points, utilizing meditation and Buddhist technologies, if you will, in order to both heal the mental and psychological as well as the spiritual. So I find that the, um, a lot of her meditations and teachings help just kind of keep me in check in terms of uh, both the mental health and the spiritual health. And then also the 12 step program that I'm in, you know, which is like very much about taking responsibility for one's actions and, you know, addressing resentments and where could I have done better today? And, but it ultimately is a spiritual solution. So it's an interesting question because they do go hand in hand. And sometimes the mental health, like for me came first and then it opened up the door for the spiritual. Because, um, the, well, yeah, the reason I asked is, um, because I would say I've not to an extreme extent, but I've suffered from mental health issues. Um, I know Aaron has from when he referred to his role and then the same with you as well. And, and your story. And I can't help but piece together the, the puzzles that um, a lot of people that lead into these sort of higher levels of spirituality have suffered from some sort of mental health to help trigger it. And I, I don't know if it's to help trigger it or more them that mental them mental health issues uh, most people can suffer from if you allow yourself that vulnerability to suffer from the, the mental health um, issues. If not, you can just ignore them, suck it up and keep going, keep working your job and just blank it all out completely. But yeah, I've noticed that as soon as you sort of identify, right, there is an issue here and then you start looking inside of yourself, you sort of automatically like flung onto the path of spirituality without even knowing it. And then some people go even more further into it and then it becomes quite addictive where you're like, oh shit, I've just, I've helped myself. I've, I've realized so much. And then you go a level further and you're like, oh my God, there's even more. And even I'm at a stage right now where I'm, to some people, I'm really far into spirituality. Others, I'm not even like scratching the surface. So I'm at that part right now where I'm like, I know so much, but I know there's infinite more information out there and just get me to it and let me learn it because I can feel what it's doing to myself and the fact that i've got aaron he's my brother as well by the way we're brothers who we do the podcast with we're constantly talking every day and just we've 
I think I was mentioning it to Aaron the, the other day on a private call when we were saying, I'm seeing my growth in his growth because we're talking to each other every day. So it's just spurring us both on to just keep going and going. Yeah, and there's times where we'll have a conversation and you'll say something and we'll just like bounce ideas from each other. And then it sort of aligns our thinking, doesn't it? And sort of clarifies it for us both. Um, it does help that we do have those conversations and that we've both got somebody who we are on a similar level who we can have them, those conversations with. Because I don't think there's anyone else in my personal life that I could have conversations like this with. That's really beautiful. I don't think that that's a coincidence that y'all are brothers and can help each other in this way. I think that there are certain people that are in our paths and in our lives karmically for reasons of helping and growth. And if we take the opportunity that we're given, and sometimes it feels like we don't quite have a choice, like you were mentioning, Cam, about how you know, yes, something can come up and you can ignore it, but, you know, it's going to come out sideways if it, if it gets ignored and that's how people end up with things like cancer and, you know, health issues, or it's like when you start to bury a lot of it. And so then a lot of us are given the gift of, I call, I say, sometimes I say that my God is the gift of desperation because it's like, I got so desperate that I had to do something. So like things got so bad and unmanageable, whether it was the depression, the eating disorder, the drug addiction, the drinking, the toxic relationships. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the times in which my God, the gift of desperation showed up that forced me to do something different. I had to get, just get uncomfortable enough where it was like, fuck it. I cannot live like this anymore. So now I get to take right action and then actually grow and like get in better shape spiritually, mentally, physically, and, and then can see the progress of holy shit, where was I a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, I, I was pontificating on that the other day of where I was when I had an eating disorder 10 years ago. It was like, I couldn't eat like anything without being afraid. And now I can go to any restaurant and just eat. I mean, I'm vegetarian, but like I can eat whatever I want without fear. And I would have never thought that that was possible before. And so it's like, we do get better. Like, I mean, that's, this is like my new thing, I guess, is like being like to people is like, it get it can get better, you know, and a lot of it really is contingent on how much do you want to show up? And then I find that even if you take a little bit of effort that we have, the, the universe actually, despite, you know, saying it contains all of these dynamics of creation and destruction, order and chaos, is that I do believe that ultimately I choose to believe that it's a benefic universe and that actually it is conspiring in my favor. And so if I just show up and do the next little thing that I can do, that it's going to, it's going to, there's a mercy to the universe that's going to help me along my way and going to put people in my path or, you know, it's just a matter of, do I want to pick up the tools? Do I want to pay attention and follow the, the signs that I'm given? And the difficulty of that, I think, is the thing that refines us. The fact that it's not always easy to 
pick up the phone or say I'm having a hard time or to go to therapy or whatever, to go outside and get fresh air, to drink water, that the difficulty of these things, that is the grindstone that refines us. Yeah, definitely in today's society, because everyone wants to, because everyone's got um, an internet persona, they all want to be seen in a different way to how they actually do feel happy so that they think putting myself out there looking like this will make me happier than even if they were actually that person because you, you see it a lot with the rich people a lot of people like to look like the rich and wealthy and got a lot of material but you see it with a lot of the people that actually have a lot of money and wealth and a lot of material um they're not necessarily the most happy people in the world so th there's a bit of a disconnect with society there where people struggle to find who they are let alone uh with them like find who they are for themselves let alone tell the people who they actually are yeah yeah it's a really noisy universe out there looking at other people's lives and you know, do people who have more money, like, are they happy? You know, that's something that I ask myself too. I think because it's just such a noisy universe, we get all these messages that are just so chaotic and confusing and um, distracting. Yeah, it's definitely something I've thought about recently because um, I've never really been one that's wanted to be a, like a famous actor or a famous like artists or anything like that but recently since I've sort of been on this journey of uh, I've been on a journey of spirituality but I've also been on a journey of seeing how the world really operates as well they sort of came together at a similar time because of the evils of as you might call them evils of the world me and everyone like shit it can't be all this bad we need to find some goodness and this is how we sort of progress through spirituality but what I see with the people in Hollywood who are big superstars, I just, I can't get my head around um, how they, do you know, as, as we were talking at the beginning about the billionaires on the yacht who are, you know what, I don't understand how a person can grow into that, if you know what I mean, because I don't think it's something people have or, or born with or go through their life as I feel like the more and more I find out about Hollywood I feel like they grow into these positions of power and then they end up falling into the trap of disgusting things but I, I can't really wrap my head around that part one of my teachers says that if you were to win the lottery it's one of probably the greatest curse that a magician could get would be to win the lottery. And I think it's because truly the spiritual path is not one of ease. It's that we get thrown certain things on purpose by the spirit guides, universe, our teachers that get thrown our way to help us grow to help us develop spiritually so that we can become more refined and shine as gold and to contribute to the web because of our experiences. 
I know how much hope I get from people who have had shitty fucking lives and now it's not so shitty anymore. And I'm like, fuck, if they can do it, if their life can get better, then there's hope for me too. And so I don't think that it's a coincidence when, you know, I think about my life and the trauma that I've been through and growing up in a family of this sort and, you know, having these experiences, it's that, that I may grow and develop on my own. And also that I could in some way contribute to the web of hope to bring light to others. And I, I heard recently about, you know, when we go through difficult circumstances that we we shed a light that then can shed light onto the paths of others because of what we've been through. So I don't know about the Hollywood and the millionaires, but I know that for me and probably for you all too, is that, you know, life hasn't always been that great or that easy and that we get thrown difficulties that ultimately are for our good and you know give ourselves credit for the fact that we have made it this far and that society and is society is corrupt pretty much like period as like a blanket statement and so why would I want to be accepted by a sick society when I start to heal and to grow, then I'm gonna to start to attract other people who are on similar paths or people that I may be, then be of service to. And it's not always super glamorous, but when I think about the, the adepted magicians, the enlightened ones that I am familiar with in my life, they don't have giant mansions. They don't, and on purpose, they don't. You know, yeah, you can do ma magic for money, but it's going to pull from other energy resources that is, is it's really kind of selfishly driven and really being able to be of service for the higher power. And then it trickles out to being able to contribute to the web of humanity in service rather than some external selfish gratification of, you know, yachts and multiple houses yeah so with sort of society in mind how from your journey from your past to when you sort of put your foot down on the accelerator into your spiritual journey what how did you find it affected like your relationships with your family with close people around you I'm really not friends with a lot of the people that I used to be friends with. Um, I would think that that's normal and natural. And my relationship with my mother has improved tremendously because of the work that I've done. I mean, I did not like her for a long time and she really hurt me a lot. But when I healed a lot of that and was able to forgive her truly and to have conversations with her, and that now she's one of, you know, my best friends, if I can say, though she doesn't, she's still um, quite conservative in her religious beliefs. And so she knows that I read tarot, but she doesn't know that I practice magic. At least I don't think that she knows. It's not something that I actively share with her because um, I don't know how great her capacity is to really take that on. 
though that is subject to change over time. Um, and then I have certain family members that I don't really talk to hardly at all because they don't, they're kind of toxic to be around or I don't quite feel comfortable around them. But I think that, you know, the work that I do to heal and to develop spiritually can have an effect on the bloodline that um, I might not quite see um, how exactly it, the bloodline gets healed, but I do know that it's part of the ancestral healing is the work that I do or that any of us are doing in our spiritual line. line we're also helping to heal the DNA. Okay. Um, when you say practicing magic, um, can you explain to us in the audience what, what you mean by that? Yeah, so there's many different forms of magic. Um, there's folk magic, which is where one maybe, you know, utilizes pennies or things around the house to draw in money or, you know, keep protect protection around the house by hanging garlic outside the front door or a horseshoe to draw in good luck. You know, these are you know, your basic, usually this type of magic are things that get inherited down the family line or like end up being traditions where like in the United States, at least it's like, oh yeah, you eat black eyed peas on the new year, on new year's day. And it brings in money for the year. So like, that's kind of a form of folk magic is using everyday things to protect or draw in prosperity or love or bring peace to the home. Um, and then there's other forms of magic that involve working with the spirits of the land to bring healing or um, the magician really in a general way is a bridge and to pull in divine like focused power and intention through ritual utterance sigils or words um, to then bring forward a change in the trajectory of fate for someone. So I've had clients come to me for things from, um, you know, they have neighbors who are giving them shit, you know, and so they want me to make some type of protective talisman that they put around their property that keeps their neighbor from giving them trouble. And then that would entail a certain amount of um, prayers and incense to certain deities on certain days that then are tuning this particular object with this particular intention. And when I started to realize that magic was real beyond just the power of prayer, which I witnessed growing up was like, I had seen someone who was by all accounts dead come to life because of the prayer of those around them. So prayer itself is a form of magic, if you will. It's the utterance and the channeling of divine power. And so then we can add even more things to tune and refine it with times of day, certain deities, certain um, sense is that all of that comes together to click into place to make a really powerful object or ritual to... Um, tune and refine to shift fate or shift a certain energy to work in um, for greater benefit or ill. I mean, there's cursing too, but 
But if you think about what I got interested in was I had seen this study where they had put like electrodes on someone's head and then just by their thought, they were able to move this animatronic arm just by the person's thought was able to move the arm of this robot. So it really had got me thinking about the power of thought alone. And then in scripture, it says, you know, the word created the world. So then how do our words then bring forth creation? And so this is like a very rudimentary version of creation and magic or thinking about how can you change the dynamic of a room just based on the energy that you bring to it. If you come in and you're positive and complimentary, it's going to, it's going to feel different than if you come in and you're slouched over and you're like, fuck that motherfucker piece of shit. You know, it has a different kind of, and that's just one version of like how we can change energy to, to create a certain dynamic or influence in the world if yeah yeah so from that side it's from the for example when you said the uh use of prayer that's the law of attraction right ask and you shall receive ask the universe yeah. and it will come into your life um is that where sort of i've never really even looked into it or even thought about it but curse words obviously swear words that's where they originate from so how what effect does me swearing about someone, like what effect would that have? If there was someone I didn't like and I swore about them, cursed words, like gave curse words, what's Yeah, I think, that, I think that those things do send out subtle curses to people. And, but here's the thing is that because we're all connected is that as you do unto your brother, so you do unto yourself. And so, you know, cursing or slandering or gossiping about someone else, it's going to have an effect on you because we're all connected. And so that's just something to take into account, you know, being very mindful of what one says. And like, I mean, just the other day I said that about, I was like, fuck that dude, like fuck him for real, you know, but you know, progress, not perfection, you know, <laughs> but I, I become more aware of it. And, you know, it's, it's an ongoing learning process of becoming a better person. Yeah. That's definitely something though, is the fact that the same thing with myself is the fact that I'm identifying it shows I'm already a million miles ahead of where I was uh, not too long ago. A lot of what, a lot of what you mentioned when you was um, sort of describing magic, it, me and Cam, we were, were half Indian and our grandparents were Hindu. So a lot of what you were saying sort of reminded me of some of the stuff my grandma used to do with uh, Hindu uh, rituals, we call them pujas. Um, like for example, there's these black uh, wrist, not wristbands, piece of string that we wear to ward off evil eye. Um, so, uh, it seems like these techniques are, well, Hindu, Hinduism is obviously an ancient religion. Um, so it seems like these techniques are quite ancient. Where do you, do you ever think about where society sort of branched away from these techniques and why? I think Christianity has a lot to do with it. And I actually don't, let me give a caveat, is I actually don't disparage Christianity completely. Like I said, I tried to be religious a few times. I actually still utilize the Bible in a lot of my workings. I would utilize the Psalms because these are ancient, 
sound texts to work with that are very helpful. Um, but I do think that the dominance of Christianity and Western societies cutting out a lot of the the pagan religions and the witchcraft and the magic. And so particularly in the West, we are all like still cobbling together a, a system of magic that works. Whereas if you if you go to somewhere like Thailand, at least that they have their magicians are called the Jarns. And so these are very powerful magicians who for gener it's an unbroken tradition. And so they have, they know how to do it. It gets passed down. It's in their DNA and they work with, you know, if they're called to do it based on their astrology or their soul's journey, but that it's, um, it's not a lost tradition in Thailand, but in the West, because of the dominance of Christianity, where they'll put certain deities to sleep or they'll cut out the knowledge or kill the witches, kill the people who have the knowledge, force them to convert to work within this Christian framework. And so that's why um, a lot, of, you know, plus then, you know, materialism coming about with you know, as sort of this pendulum on the other side of that, of like that, you know, oh, sign. now it's like science is now the religion, you know, and so then the pendulum swings the other way and people become just as dogmatic about science and materialism. And so then that's sort of where we're at now, where it's like, there's this, like, am I religious or do I believe in science? And then, but there's like this whole area of gray in between, which is like, yeah, but what about synchronicities or what about these dreams that I'm having and so people kind of are starting to wake up to that they need more options than straight up materialism or Christianity yeah because um a lot of religions uh this is kind of in my opinion is kind of based on material anyway because it just comes from a book and from the other side of science it's sort of like well, if you can't see it and you can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. It's kind of the same thing with religion because it's with a book that someone's wrote and we don't fully know who wrote the book, let's be honest. But it's like, if it's not in the book, then it doesn't exist. Then science is saying, well, if you can't see it or prove it, then it doesn't exist. And it just completely bypasses everything else because science can't identify what our dreams are, but we all know dreams are there and... We don't actually know what the what they fully are and religion can't identify what dreams are i noticed you've got um you, you, you said you um do tarot and you've got tarot cards in the back can you explain i know i know i know about it but i don't know anything about it i've heard of it but i don't know anything about it um can you explain to us what it is and what it does um so there's people read tarot cards in different ways um tarot cards as the you know traditional deck that we're familiar with um you know we don't quite have the clear history on you know did they used to be playing cards and how did they evolve over time um but the traditional rider weight smith deck that people use um that was designed in the uh early 20th century i believe by some golden dawn magicians and um uh, they work with so the, what's called the major arcana and then the minor arcana and so then the major cards represent there's 78 cards uh, the major cards represent uh, 
primary dynamics that are coming through. Some people call them archetypes, but I don't read tarot from a psychological perspective. I, I tend to read it from um, its usefulness in terms of uh, guiding one and dynamics that are flowing through one's life and how to work with those dynamics. So the major cards are the major faded lessons that are coming through. And then the minor cards represent the four elements. And so then this these are the... It, the ways in which those lessons come forward. Is it about the future? Is it about processing death and emotions? It, and so it's really about looking at what's coming down the pipeline. What are the lessons that are playing through my life right now? And then given that information, how can I work with this these energies to uh, a greater benefit or knowing that a certain type of dynamic is coming down the pipeline for me, then how can I utilize that information to try to make things work out in my favor or, or learn the lesson earlier rather than before it comes, before it ends up in utter destruction, if that answers your question. Okay, so, so you help them to help you keep aware of what's coming and so you can be prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just kind of, I, I call it like looking under the hood. And oftentimes when I do readings, so many times people are like, oh, well, yeah, you just told me what I already knew. But it's really about having, so it's really kind of just um, helping you to have confirmation and to see um, to help you navigate your life so that you're not just like blindly being tossed about by fate. It's just kind of sheds the light to look at what are the dynamics going on below the surface. Mm. How did you get into tarot reading? How does one learn about this? Well, I had a I had a boyfriend who bought me a set of runes, which are Germanic casting stones. And so that's another form of divination. And I just found out that I was good at it. So I was like, well, if I'm good at this, let me just get some tarot cards and see, um, see how that works out. And then turns out I was good at that too. And so then I just got my chops. I would just like go to parties and just read for people. And so I, that's how I gained the skill pretty early on is I would just like read for people for free. Like, let me look at your cards. And then, um, and then now I do it for a living. Have you ever um, had an experience where you've had to tell someone something truly negative where they could take it in a bad way? Yes, absolutely. And actually last week, this was kind of funny is that there was a woman who her husband had bought her a tarot reading for her birthday. So she came into the shop. Um, I own a shop. Um, it's called Mother Mary's Spiritual Goods um, in Marfa, Texas. MaryMarfa.com or MarfaTarot.com. Anyway, um, and so she came into the shop for her birthday reading. And then we had some time to look at a few different questions. And then the final reading was... Um, she wanted to know, okay, well, how are the next six months going to look in my life? So then I do pull the cards and then the final card is the death card, right? And so then we're like, you know, I'm like, well, the death card can mean a lot of different things. It can mean transitions, the ending of a cycle or death. 
And so because it was the final reading, we were kind of out of time, but I didn't want to leave her hanging with this question of like, well, what kind of death is it? Like, am I going, you know, am I going to die? So then I, I, I did another reading for her, which the question was just, um, am I going to, is she going to physically survive this death? And the answer was yes. And so then she was able to leave with a smile and clarity. Um, (laughs) But a lot of the most difficult readings that I've had were in my own life when I wasn't being honest with myself. So I was in a toxic relationship and then like the devil card or the tower card kept showing up. And so it's really kind of about, you know, getting honest with oneself. And a lot of times when there's difficult cards and situations that come up, it's because there's lessons that we need to be addressing and we're ignoring them. And so then it's basically fate then showing us if you don't address this, then it's going to all fall apart anyway. So that's where it can be beneficial to really, but it's also, if you don't want to know, don't ask because it w- they will lay it out on the table for you. And so it's really like, it's a challenge to be honest with oneself with what one actually sees. And are you going to work with it? Or are you going to just get tossed around by fate? Hmm. Do you think a lot of, do you see a lot of the people that sort of come uh, in for sort of like one-off readings that they just sort of shrug their shoulders and, and walk out? No, I think I'm, I'm quite good at what I do. <laughs> and so they end up being, most people who come in for their first reading, is that arrogant to say, or is that just true? It's like, <laughs> Most people, when they come in for their uh, first reading, they're actually surprised by how accurate it is. They're actually like, whoa, I didn't like, I'll be like, yeah, you're maybe you're going through a divorce or you're going through a job transition. And people are usually surprised by how specific the reading ends up being, but everybody reads differently. And I'm, because I do it as a profession, I'm constantly learning and refining it even for myself so that I'm able to be of greater service and give as much information to the client. And so that it's not just this like general, like feel good. Like that's not how I read. And then the other question I have is, um, I forgot what they're called. Is it pathological liar? Someone who lies so much that they believe their own lies. I'm, I'm not sure of the clinical diagnosis, but that sounds right. Like, yeah. I think that's what it's called. Um, have you ever had to read someone who's a pathological liar and it, I don't know how to explain this question. <laughs> Is it, would it be harder to read someone who's a pathological liar? Because was, let's say if someone's lazy, they sleep until one at one, at 1 PM every day, they don't go to the gym, but they're telling themselves that they're not so much that they believe it. Would that type of person be impossible to read on a tarot reading? I have yet to encounter someone like that who doesn't like on some level know. But when I was reading runes, I was at this like mystical market on like a full moon or something. And so I was like, you know, $5 readings, you know? And so I'm like casting stones for people. And one of the first people that I read for that night, just like in these three little stones that I cast, I was like, I, I, I could see that he had cheated on his ex-wife and I like said that in the reading and he was like freaked out by it and like you could tell that he was like 
I mean, I could tell, I could see he was freaked out by it and I could see that he was acting like it wasn't the case. So there's, there's, that's probably the uh, version of that, that I've seen where someone's like, kind of can't believe it. And then also blown away at the same time, but doesn't want to admit. And so it does entail a certain level of, you know, being honest with the person about what you see, but then also kind of being an objective observer so that they don't feel like I'm judging them based on what I, I mean, I get people who ask me about, you know, who are having affairs, should I leave my husband for this part? Like, you know, and I don't, and I think that this is part of the gift of all of the life experience that I've been through is I don't judge people for what they're going through because I've been through a lot of this shit myself. And so those are fair questions and people need to feel safe when they come to me for a reading that they can ask me anything that they want. I'm just being of service with these gifts and it's not my job to judge people. So do, do you get it that specific where you can read it and see he's cheated on his ex-wife? Yes. And that's, that's part of the gift of the divination is that the cards have certain information, but then I can see more specifically when I'm reading a person that the spirit will then guide me to see more of the details of how exactly because okay so like this full card here right can represent zero empty uh a, a fool but then if I see that card and it's representing a person then I can see more specifically how that's coming through for a person like oh you you don't have any experience. You're about to begin a new job and you don't have any experience in this field of work. Like I can fill in the blanks based on the divinatory gift. So um, how far like in the past could it go? Because I'm thinking about it in terms of, say you've got um, like a criminal who's until they're in their twenties have led a life of crime and, horrors of the world you go into the prison they come out completely new a completely new person um if you were to do a reading on them would it just be of the present moment of that person or would it pick up on some of their past feelings so if they've been involved in crime and horrors but now none of that is attached to their personality would it conflict and would it still pick up some of their um, it depends on the spread. Usually when I read the, the, and by the spread, I mean the layout of the cards is that there's the cards themselves. And then there's the positions that each card goes in that represent certain things. So usually different layouts will have positions of the past or past influences because the past does influence the present and the future. And I have had people who, where I'm not quite sure they'll have something in the past that's like really difficulty that has ended up representing that they were in prison. So sometimes, you know, I'll ask questions that's like, why is that? Sometimes it's confusing for me because I'm like, why is the justice card or the ace of swords coming up in this past position? And it's like, oh, it's because they were in prison during that time. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Y'all are going to have to get readings. Yeah uh is there something you have to do physically in person or do you can you do it no i do it i do it virtually as well a oh, lot right, of my okay. clients are online does it, yeah. you get the same feeling virtually do what 
you get the same feeling like do you find it harder to um read virtually than if you've got someone in your presence it's not as much like virtually or in person that make a difference there's certain uh times that i feel like more on than other times like i think usually in like earlier in the day i feel more on or depending on how many readings i've done sometimes i'll do like a lot of readings and by the end i just feel kind of tired but mm, i feel i feel like generally they're all pretty consistent in terms of accuracy maybe sometimes i'm just a little bit more tired or awake you know with um this sort of line of work so uh, i well i work in marketing and i love design and a lot of design comes from creativity and i feel like as i've progressed through my time in design my creativity's got better or what you do do you is it like do you, open to anyone can people train themselves into a position where they can do this or do you think it's something people just have the gift of i think anybody can practice and utilize cards and learn um, but i do think that some people maybe have more natural gifts towards inner vision of but anybody can lay out a, a spread of past present future ask a specific question get an answer, have the book. What does this card mean? Okay. That makes sense. You know, it doesn't have to be, I think if you're willing to be honest with yourself about what you see and you can read for yourself on that question, then it can be very illuminating. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I can see that sort of, you have to detach yourself from any problems which you may be going through because this is about a different like you're going through with someone else's experience that was really really interesting amanda thank you oh thank you all so much Thanks. this has oh, been great well yeah, it's been amazing this has been really insightful yeah. cool yeah definitely reach out if y'all want tarot readings yeah do you know what i or think I'm actually, at all. I'm actually gonna i'm gonna reach out to you and um we'll do it obviously why not i would love to yeah um but yeah, I'll leave all of your details. You plugged your website, so I'll leave all that in the description below as well. Okay. Yeah, and people can, if you aren't in the desert of West Texas, I do the virtual readings, and you can people can book those online at marfatero.com, and I'll I could send you a Zoom link, and we just do it on Zoom. Cool. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks guys. Thank you so much, y'all. Bye.